0: Hey, Jeffrey. I finally picked up more washi tape. It has 8-bit hearts all over it.
1: Oh, that sounds neat, Liz. Can I have some to put over my webcam? My last piece has been sticking quite as well after I temporarily removed it when we video chatted to plan this episode.
0: Sure. And for all of our listeners who might be wondering why we put washi tape over our webcams, this is the episode of Loose Leaf Security for you.
1: We'll cover how to cover your webcam Ugh. and discuss how both malware and better intended software could turn your webcam on unexpectedly.
0: Hello, and welcome to Loose Leaf Security. I'm Liz Denny's.
1: And I'm Jeffrey Thomas, and we're your hosts.
0: Loose Leaf Security is a show about making good computer security practice for everyone. We believe you don't need to be a software engineer or security professional to understand how to keep your devices and data safe.
1: In every episode, we tackle a typical security concern or walk you through a recent incident.
0: Before we talk security news, we have a couple loose-leaf security updates. First, we're starting a weekly newsletter that is going to include short summaries of interesting security news. Information about any new episodes or any other new loose-leaf security content will also be included.
1: We're still going to include the security news segment in the podcast, but we'll be able to better highlight more stories by adding the newsletter format, too. Sometimes we run across deeply thought-provoking stories where the only practical takeaways are practically a footnote in their narratives. And we found ourselves skipping them and finding another way to work that content into later episodes because discussing those types of stories doesn't work so well over a podcast where listeners aren't guaranteed to have the article in front of them.
0: The new newsletter summaries are also a better fit for linking to video content and for expanding on older but still relevant stories. You can sign up for this newsletter at https://looseleafsecurity.com/slash newsletter.
1: Which actually brings us to our second Loose Leaf Security announcement. In addition to podcast episodes, We'll also be covering some security and privacy-related topics in blog-style articles, where we can go into more detail than we could in an episode.
0: Our first article is already live. It's about some authentication issues I ran into with Instagram earlier this month. I got stuck in an unusual login attempt verification loop that didn't actually work. We talk about what to do if you, too, get temporarily locked out of your Instagram account because of that loop, we also talk more generally about what that incident means for all social media users.
1: Another nice thing about blog style articles is that we can target multiple audiences, and so we've also included some suggestions for web developers working on this type of verification.
0: We'll include articles we write in our new weekly newsletter, or if you read blogs in an RSS reader, you can subscribe to Looseleaf Security's feed. And as a reminder, you can sign up for our new weekly newsletter at looseleafsecurity.com/newsletter.
1: First off in news from the outside world, a quick update on a Facebook story we've covered a few times earlier this year in our episode Using a Password Manager Effectively. We discussed how, if you gave your phone number to Facebook to send two-factor authentication text messages to, they were linking it with profiles. And a few months before that, in Physical Attacks to Your Computers and Disk Encryption, we talked about how they had started using that phone number for marketing purposes, and if you replied to the text messages they sent you, they'd even post that to your Facebook page.
0: The FTC recently announced a $5 billion fine against Facebook for privacy violations, and they also require various privacy changes. One of them is that they can't use phone numbers they received for two-factor authentication or another security purpose for advertising.
1: It doesn't seem like it prevents them from adding it to your profile or letting people search for it, but it does prevent marketers from targeting you based on that phone number, which was one of the controversies in the past.
0: The order also prevents Facebook from asking for your email password when you sign up for an account.
1: Facebook got a lot of heat for that earlier this year. When you signed up for an account, they would prompt you for your email password so they could go check for the verification email on their own. I guess it made it a little bit faster.
0: But it comes at the cost of Facebook potentially having access to all of your emails and your contacts. They say they're not storing it, but given their history with privacy, that's not something I'm excited to trust them on.
1: They did stop doing that on their own after the outcry, so it's not clear that the FTC's order will accomplish much.
0: Also, Facebook still tries to access your email to, quote, reset your password immediately if you use one of the providers they can connect to over the OAuth protocol, namely Gmail, Hotmail, and Yahoo. And while this doesn't give Facebook your email password, it still gives Facebook much more access than they need. Since Facebook only needs to access some information from a single specific email, and you can do that verification manually in under a minute, granting them access to all your email is an unnecessary risk.
1: I wouldn't be surprised if Facebook is asking for this kind of access because many users are comfortable giving third-party access to other services in other contexts, like giving budgeting software access to their bank transactions.
0: Well, while the protocol setup is similar, there is a big difference with giving Facebook access to all your emails and giving your budgeting software access to your bank transactions. At its core, you do want your budgeting software to see all of those transactions, but you don't really want Facebook to see all of your emails. Just maybe that one to verify it's you.
1: Right. It's really important to think about the scope of what specific thing you're trying to accomplish and compare that with the scope of access you're giving when linking accounts like this. And if the scope of access is larger than necessary, that's a red flag.
0: Also, if a service is offering to replace something that isn't actually inconvenient in the first place with a purportedly more convenient alternative, you should be skeptical of why they're offering to do this. In this case, you're probably already logged into your email somewhere, so it's not likely that it's actually even faster for you to connect it to Facebook than to just recover your account by clicking the link in the email yourself.
1: Google's security research division, Project Zero, recently disclosed several security bugs in Apple's iMessage. These can do everything from crashing your iPhone's home screen to actually sending files back to whoever's texting you, and could be triggered just by people sending you messages.
0: They've been fixed in the latest iOS updates, so if you haven't updated your phone, it's a really, really good idea to do that as soon as possible.
1: One of the researchers, Natalie Silvanovich, had previously discovered a pretty nasty attack against the visual voicemail feature, which did get disclosed via Project Zero's policies before Apple managed to put out an update for it. She's been taking a broad look at the fully remote attack surface of the iPhone and iPad, and has a good post about it in Project Zero's blog, which we'll link to in the show notes.
0: One neat thing that Apple announced recently is that they're distributing special iPhones to security researchers that give them easy access to all of the components of iOS, so that researchers don't have to first find a good way to reverse engineer their way onto the system's internals just to see what's there at the next level. Historically, Apple has been very good at security design, but because they're closed source unlike Android, It's a lot harder to say, let me see what sorts of messages the texting app is going to crash on.
1: Ironically, it might be Apple's good security design that has led to this problem. It's hard to find a jailbreak or similar exploit for new versions of iOS, so you can't immediately say, let me apply my regular reverse engineering tools to the new versions of these built-in apps. I think that's been a good decision on the whole, and iOS has had a pretty good security track record over the years, but these recent vulnerabilities genuinely aren't great.
0: Apple also announced some great changes to their bug bounty, the amount they pay researchers who find vulnerabilities in their software and disclose it to Apple. Bounties are intended to both incentivize research and compete with the black market for software vulnerabilities. The new bounty goes up to a million dollars for finding an automated attack that gains persistent control of an iPhone even after it's rebooted. And the bounty program now covers macOS as well, which was notably missing before.
1: A quick update for Android users. The Firefox mobile app now supports the U2F standard for second-factor authentication. We've mentioned several times how U2F is the strongest form of two-factor authentication generally available for websites. Our episode, Two-Factor Authentication and Account Recovery, covers why in more detail.
0: Not only is it the strongest form of two-factor, in a sense, it's the easiest. You just tap a button instead of copying a code from somewhere. Firefox for Android supports not just physical U2F devices you can connect over USB, Bluetooth, or NFC. It also supports the fingerprint scanners on several newer Android devices. They've got a blog post with the details, which we'll link in the show notes.
1: We'll get to today's main segment after a quick break.
0: Today, we're talking about why you should cover your web cameras when you aren't actively using them. But before we get into why, including specific incidents where webcams unexpectedly expose their owners, we're going to talk about how to cover your webcam. There's a bunch of fancy plastic webcam cover slides, but you can also just put colored removable tape over it, like painter's tape or masking tape. I'm personally a fan of washi tape, a decorative paper-based tape you can find at craft and stationery stores.
1: Note that if you choose to use washi tape, an attacker who gets access to your webcam will probably be able to see if it's light or dark near you. Washi tape isn't fully opaque, but it generally obscures what's happening.
0: Yeah, I have a bunch of different washi tapes that I use to seal letters I send to friends and family, and some designs obscure my webcam better than others. Sometimes I'll put two layers on it to make it more opaque. Whenever I want to use a different washi tape over my webcam, I make sure to test how much it covers my camera before relying on it.
1: And if you're getting one of those plastic webcam cover slides, make sure it stays in place over your webcam after you put it in your bag and move it around. It doesn't do much good if it's regularly sliding out of place.
0: Yeah, I've considered switching to something like that because washi tape eventually wears out, but between the possibility of it sliding and how it just doesn't look as obviously different when it is and isn't covered, I've stuck with washi tape. Old habits die hard, I guess.
1: If you want to use a cover slide, just make sure it's designed so it stays in the covered position when you're not using your device.
0: If possible, also get in the habit of checking that your webcam is actually covered when you expect it to be.
1: So why should you bother covering your webcams, be it with a tape or a plastic slide cover? If you're diligent about closing programs that access your camera when you're done, shouldn't your software and your operating system's architecture keep it off when it's supposed to be off?
0: In an ideal world, yes, but if you catch malware or if a piece of software you use gets a bug, access to your webcam could be exposed to attackers. We talk about how you can do what you can to avoid malware and download software you need from trusted sources in our episode, Malware, Antivirus, and Safe Downloads.
1: But if you do unfortunately get malware or have buggy software that exposes your webcam, Having it covered keeps your physical surroundings private. It's a solid, independent line of defense to keep wherever you keep your devices private.
0: Also, unlike with software, it's really, really clear when your webcam is physically covered. You can just check that the colored tape hasn't moved or that your slide cover is covering the lens.
1: Yeah, a physical cover is really easy to verify, which makes me feel a lot more comfortable that no one's covertly taping me.
0: Which actually brings us to the first way attackers try to extort people who don't tape their webcams a confidence scam where the attacker sends a blackmail email asking for money in exchange for deleting videos they claim to have from your webcam. Often they claim to have videos of you watching sexually explicit content, and that's why these are often called sextortion scams.
1: Wait, isn't this basically the plot of an episode of Black Mirror?
0: That Black Mirror episode is honestly a lot more disturbing and extreme and specific than these scams, which isn't surprising as it's a generally dystopian show, though it does pretty accurately describe a way to actually carry out this type of attack. The main character in that episode, Kenny, downloads an anti-malware tool that's actually malware, the malware records him through his webcam, and the attacker who wrote that malware blackmails Kenny into doing some very extreme things. Fortunately, most extortion scams aren't as specific or extreme as that Black Mirror episode, which makes sense because that fictional attacker had to spend a lot of targeted time going through the footage they recorded of Kenny to find something to blackmail him over, and then take even more specific time exploiting only him.
1: Right. Typically, these scams are not from someone who actually has a video of you doing anything at all. It's usually just spammers emailing a ton of people in a non-targeted way, because they don't need everyone to fall for the scam and send the money, just enough people to make it worth their while.
0: It takes a lot less time and energy to programmatically send a lot of people hollow threats meant to stir up fear.
1: Wait Liz, you actually got one of these emails last year, right?
0: I did, Jeffrey. I was actually pretty amused because I definitely had washi tape covering my webcams then, And besides, I don't even watch sexually explicit videos. They're just not my thing. The particular sextortion scam email I got was actually a bit more clever than the average one. Typically, the attacker writes just enough details about how this type of attack could work to worry the recipient, but notably leave specifics out. They don't mention exactly where the victim downloaded the malware, or which adult sites they were visiting while the attacker was recording them, because the email sender doesn't actually have any videos of the victim. In the email i got last year however this attacker did include a little bit of personal information it said i know this is your password about one of my former passwords it turns out that i no longer used my password anywhere at the time because i knew it had been in a breach and because i knew it was in a breach i knew that's where they got this instead of a keylogger they claimed to have placed on my machine
1: oh that is clever not everyone updates their passwords after a breach or necessarily even knows they're in a breach so for some of the recipients the inclusion of that password would give the standard of the scam a lot of additional credibility.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the many reasons it's worth keeping on top of which passwords of yours have been in breaches. One resource for keeping on top of breaches is the website haveibeenpwned.com, which tracks breaches of passwords and other personal information that's been compromised. As we mentioned in our very first episode, securing your online account passwords, you can even sign up for future breach alerts from Have I Been Pwned, so you get an email every time your email address is seen in another known breach.
1: Your password manager may also have a section where it compares the passwords you've stored against known breaches. As we discussed in our episode, using a password manager effectively, 1Password will show which of your passwords are in known breaches in the Watchtower section, and LastPass does this as part of their security challenge.
0: Another tactic to use in these extortion emails is creating a sense of urgency so that the recipient doesn't feel like they have the time to think clearly as to whether or not it's actually likely their computer has malware and that that malware has enabled the attacker to record them. The particular email I got said that I only had one day to pay them before they started sending copies of the purported video of me to contacts they claimed to have grafted via a keylogger.
1: It is possible for an attacker to grab your contacts by credentials stolen from a keylogger, and it is also actually possible that an attacker knows whether or not you've opened their email without action on your part. An attacker can tell that you've seen the email by including a tracking pixel image. Tracking pixels are images that are small, often just a single pixel large, located at a specific web address that's unique to the email sent to you. Since most email clients automatically load all images in the email when you view that email, most email clients will request the tracking pixel image from the website that hosts it, and that host can record that it's been requested. Since the tracking pixel is located at a unique web address for just the email sent to you, that someone probably wouldn't otherwise stumble upon, they would know that you specifically opened the email when their web host says that someone requested it.
0: The scammer who emailed me did mention a tracking pixel, but ironically they didn't actually include any images in my email. By the way, tracking pixels aren't only used by attackers, they're widely used in marketing emails because companies like to know which subject lines and contents are most effective with their target audience, and an email app called Superhuman used to put them in every single email its users
1: sent. Anyway, I'm guessing you didn't actually send the sextortion email or any money like they wanted?
0: I didn't, and I hope that no one else sent them to bitcoins they requested either. If you're curious what this email said exactly, we'll include it in our show notes.
1: Alleged or actual malware isn't the only way your webcam might get compromised. Exploitable bugs and legitimate software could also give an attacker the ability to watch you through your webcam.
0: That's exactly what happened earlier this summer with a vulnerability in Zoom, a popular web conferencing provider, that security researcher Jonathan Leitschew disclosed in July.
1: There were two issues that, when combined, caused a real problem here. The first is that, on macOS at least, when you follow a link to a Zoom call, the way that Zoom's website activates the app is that the app has a little web server running on your machine, and Zoom's website makes a request to it.
0: You might remember that this is the same architectural decision in one of the questionable password managers we talked about in our last episode. Password managers, how they should work, and when they didn't. And any website you visited could access that password server.
1: In theory, this wouldn't be so bad if it only connected you to legitimate Zoom meetings, which it does, but there's a feature that meshes badly with this. Zoom lets the meeting creators say that they want people who join to immediately have their camera turned on.
0: I suppose this is useful for people using Zoom at work. If you're joining a daily meeting, it's a little simpler to just drop in. But this feature works for any Zoom call, whether or not you've ever interacted with the meeting organizer before.
1: So the net effect of this is that you can just visit a website, and it can activate Zoom, and see you through your camera, as long as you have Zoom installed. You'll see it activate, assuming you're at your computer, but you won't have a chance to say no first.
0: When the researcher suggested that Zoom show a prompt before turning on the camera, they said, and I quote, Zoom believes in giving our customers the power to choose how they want to Zoom. This includes whether they want a seamless experience in joining a meeting with microphone and video automatically enabled, or if they want to manually enable these input devices after joining a meeting.
1: Wow, I guess part of the reason it took so long for them to patch it is they put the researcher in touch with the PR team instead of the security team. So a common practice for security reports is 90 days before public disclosure, To give companies a fair chance to fix things and protect their users, but also keep some pressure on them so they don't leave the issue unfixed for some less ethical attacker to discover. Zoom took a while to get in touch, saying that their security engineer was out of office.
0: They only have one security engineer? Or even if so, they don't have anyone else familiar enough with their security practices who can answer questions?
1: Yeah, the timeline isn't great, and they ended up applying only the initial workaround that the researcher suggested, and by the time of the 90-day mark, it turned out the workaround was incomplete.
0: So I guess a lot of people uninstalled it in a hurry?
1: Yes, but it turns out uninstalling it doesn't actually work. The little web server stays running, and one of the features of that server is that it can reinstall Zoom on command.
0: Wow, so an attacker can have their website access this server, which will cause Zoom to get reinstalled, and then immediately pop you into a meeting with your camera turned on.
1: Exactly, and none of this was precisely a bug. They built these features on purpose. The Zoom developers wanted links to immediately open the Zoom app, they wanted the app to immediately turn on your camera, and they wanted it to be easy to reinstall Zoom if you uninstalled it. In retrospect, those were all dangerous decisions, but they were all intended features of the Zoom app.
0: Yeah, it's one thing to say you should keep your computer safe from malware, or you should run antivirus, or whatever. And to be clear, there are worthwhile steps to keep yourself safe. We do have a whole episode called Malware, Antivirus, and Safe Downloads, after all. But this is the software intended to download. These are all features of the genuine Zoom
1: app. So this issue actually completely changed how I thought about the purpose of webcam covers. I've had one for a while, because why not? But I was mostly thinking, isn't this a last line of defense against malicious software? And aren't there so many other things that malicious software could do if it somehow got access to my computer?
0: True. If you're only worried about malware, like the malware the scammer claimed was on my computer, that malware could be doing much worse things than just opening your camera like stealing all your private photos from any chat services you're logged into, or stealing money from your bank account directly, there's no reason they need you to send them bitcoins.
1: But this isn't malware at all, and that makes it a much more realistic attack. Zoom isn't malicious or backdoored, it's real software that people genuinely want to have installed so they can video conference with their coworkers or friends. It just had these bugs.
0: Zoom isn't going to have functionality to steal money from your bank account. It's pretty unlikely that someone can send you a malicious Zoom link that goes and uses something built into Zoom to transfer money into their account without your knowing. Worst case, they can sign you up for a more expensive Zoom plan. But the whole point of Zoom is to connect your camera to other people.
1: So this simple physical defense of sticking some tape on your webcam does actually help in a very practical way. Zoom said is a shinier feature for our users if we just turn on the camera automatically, but this way you're guaranteed that you have to do something physical to open the camera.
0: Oh, that reminds me of the hardware microphone switch on recent Macs. There's a physical disconnection when your lid is closed. So if someone finds a way to trigger your Mac to remotely wake up and join a call, it still can't record any audio.
1: Yeah, that's a great design, and that brings up a great point. You would have still been connected to audio, even if whoever was calling you via Zoom couldn't see you. So the camera cover still isn't a complete defense. It's still worth researching what sorts of features an app has, and whether you really want them or not
0: but it's a very practical belt and suspenders approach, or what security folks call defense in depth. If one of the defenses fail, you're not going to get caught with your pants down.
1: Maybe literally in this case. So, for macOS Zoom users, is there anything you still need to do?
0: Well, they've patched the issue, and more importantly, Apple pushed a behind-the-scenes software update to disable the Zoom sleeper agent that would automatically reinstall it.
1: So as long as you're staying up to date with software updates, there's nothing else you specifically need to do right now, besides covering your camera.
0: Let's take a look at one more case about webcams and privacy. In fall 2009, the school district of Lower Marion, Pennsylvania, a suburb of Philadelphia, issued MacBooks to all its high school students. Those laptops had theft tracking software installed, and one of the things this theft tracking software did was take photos every few minutes so the school district could try to tell where a misplaced laptop was.
1: Did the students know that the laptop was taking pictures?
0: No, and worse than that, the theft tracking software prevented normal use of the webcam so students thought that the webcam had been disabled entirely.
1: What about the green light? Shouldn't it be impossible to turn on a Mac camera without the light turning on?
0: Yeah, that is one of the practical safety features on the Mac, and a few students did notice the green light flicker on and off, but they didn't get an answer from school officials about what was happening.
1: So what happened with the photos?
0: One student was called into an assistant principal's office after photos were taken of him at home, showing what she claimed was proof of drug use. The parents sued the school district, and the student says he was just eating candy.
1: So the district admitted that it was taking photos of the student at home, like, in his room?
0: Yeah, and it came out that they had photos of the student partially dressed, photos of family members, and so forth. Basically, not surprising if students are just leaving their laptops in their room, open, and going about their day. The district eventually got rid of the software and settled the lawsuit for over $600,000.
1: That is super creepy. I mean, I will just leave my laptop around the house while I'm doing other things, and I really don't expect it to be watching me.
0: The theft tracking software also captured files and chats that were on the laptop, so students who were using them as their personal laptops had all of their personal conversations with friends monitored by the school district too.
1: Honestly, that doesn't surprise me as much. When I use a laptop my employer has issued me, I do expect that they are, or at least could be, monitoring my chats and files. But it's a bit different in that, one, I'm in an industry where this sort of monitoring is common, and two, I'm an employee, I have a contract with them and the relationship is very different from a student, especially a minor student, getting a laptop from their school district.
0: Certainly, one of the creepiest parts here is that students haven't consented to this monitoring, but putting all that creepiness aside, from a security perspective, this case is also particularly alarming to me because the school administrators were actually using the theft tracking software exactly as it was intended to be used. While I don't feel like students should need to physically cover the webcams on their school-issued computers, so school officials they should be able to trust don't spy on them, this case is a good reminder that any device where you aren't the sole owner is intrinsically compromised.
1: Yeah, I mean, my employer tells me that they're monitoring what I do and that they need it for regulatory reasons, and they basically make it clear to me that they are the admin of the laptop and I'm not.
0: The school district actually said that they avoided telling students that they were being monitored on the grounds that it would have made theft tracking harder. I don't really buy that argument, though. I think they were just scared of pushback.
1: Yeah, so some employers require their employees to install software that gives them even more control over their employees' personal devices in exchange for the ability to access work accounts without carrying a second work only device. But they make it clear to employees what sort of access they have, and it's very rare for them to want photos. They usually just want the ability to remotely wipe their employees' devices.
0: I think the idea here is that employees are likely to have work materials like notes on their devices outside of just the software that they use specifically for their jobs. But a remote wipe will also lose the employee a lot of non-work-related materials, too, unless they're all contained in easy-to-access backups.
1: But it's also really hard to guarantee that you have a backup of everything that's yours on a device you share with your employer without backing up everything including your employer's property.
0: Right, and also if you grant your employer that level of access to your devices, they'd have the ability to install a lot of other types of software, too, including spyware, and you might not even notice they installed it. Your employer probably wouldn't intentionally do that, They're much more likely to install monitoring software so that they know the sensitive information for your work isn't leaving your hands, but it only takes one employee with bad intentions who works with the employee device control software to install something that spies on you.
1: So personally, if an employer wanted to have access to wipe my phone or monitor my activity, I'd try as hard as I could to get them to give me a work-only device that they could have full ownership over. That way, I retain full control over my personal device. On Android and iOS, at least there's generally support for what they call Mobile Device Management, or MDM for short, which gives a well-defined way for employers to set specific policies like passcode strength or the ability to do remote wipe without giving them full control over the device. But on desktops, any program you install for your employer is going to be able to fully access your machine.
0: Yeah, this comes out of the distinction between mobile and traditional desktop OS security models, which we touched on last year in our episode Securing Your Phone. Mobile apps generally only have the access granted by the operating system, and there's a permissions prompt for anything unusual like MDM. But if you install a desktop app, it can generally access anything on the system that any other desktop app could access.
1: I've actually been refusing to install my Workplace's chat app because they currently want the ability to wipe the phone, but apparently enough people have been complaining about it that our security team is trying to get their MDM software to only have the ability to wipe that one app. And I definitely would not install something similar on my desktop. If I really had to provide a personal device for work, I'd try to find an old phone or laptop and I wouldn't log into any of my personal accounts on it.
0: Yeah, I don't want a fearmonger here, but it actually doesn't take that much time or effort to compromise someone else's computer. When you install software from your employer, they usually tell you what kind of access they're getting with it, but someone else who gets access to install software on your device would be able to install something else without telling you and you wouldn't know about it. They could install spyware, anything from malware without any legitimate uses to something more subtle and legitimate-seeming like theft-tracking software. And they could do it all in the time it takes for you to use the bathroom or refill a water glass.
1: That's why it's so important to lock your computers and maintain physical access over them, and be careful when downloading software.
0: Maintaining full ownership over your devices is actually genuinely challenging. We talk about the issue of physical access more in our episode Physical Attacks to Your Computers and Disk Encryption.
1: Hopefully no one compromises your computers, but if you have something over your web camera, Someone who does, at least won't be able to covertly take photos of you.
0: You know, one of the things we try to do at Looseleaf Security is push back on the idea that computer security is a lost cause, that someone's going to be able to hack you no matter what you do. And I know we're talking about some worst-case scenarios here because they really illustrate what the issues are at the heart of this problem, but I really want to say there are some immensely practical steps you can take.
1: Right, from sort of a theoretical standpoint, someone who gets access to your desktop can take over everything. But really the things we've been talking about in this episode are specifically attacks that don't involve attackers trying to be like total evil and plotting against you specifically. Both Zoom and the school district's anti-theft software aren't trying to make your life miserable, they're just prone to misuse. And in the case of the email scam, there was no attack at all. A camera cover helps you say, you know what, I can promise you that you didn't successfully record me.
0: Realistically, it's not practical to keep your computer 100% theoretically secure. I do trust my friends, which is why I let them borrow my computer from time to time to look something up really quickly, but I definitely don't always lock my screen every time I get up at a coffee shop to get some more milk for my tea, or whatever, and theoretically someone could plug in a USB rubber ducky in those 10 seconds, but it generally doesn't actually happen. I don't think you need to be like the guy who threw away all his computers because his slack password might have gotten breached.
1: Oh yeah, I definitely used to think like that, but it's clear to me now that that's a novel reaction. There's actually a whole bunch of takeaways from this lack incident that we'll talk about in an upcoming article.
0: And another practical case is using work devices. Sure, in theory, the safest thing is to leave your work devices at work, but if you're traveling on a work trip, you probably do want to take your work laptop with you, and you'll probably want to use it in your hotel room. So a practical step there is to get a camera cover for your work computer. Not because you specifically expect the company to do anything untoward, but it's good for peace of mind.
1: Security isn't so much about absolutes, it's about finding reasonable trade-offs to keep doing what you want to do and not worry about things going wrong. A camera cover is not only easy to use, but it protects against some very realistic things that could go wrong.
0: That's all we have for today, and don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter. The sign-up page is at https colon looseleafsecurity.com slash newsletter.
1: Until next time, try not to let your life turn into an episode of Black Mirror.
0: Or even an episode of Candid Camera. Loose Leaf Security is produced by me, Liz Denny's.
1: Our theme music, arranged by Liz, is based on excerpts of Venus, the Bringer of Peace from Gustav Holst's original two-piano arrangement of The Planets.
0: For a transcript of this show and links for further reading about topics covered in this episode, head on over to LooseLeafSecurity.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Loose Leaf Secure.
1: If you want to support the show, we'd really appreciate it if you could head to iTunes and leave us a nice review, or just tell your friends about the podcast. Those simple actions can really help us.